0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, Verses 35 through 41. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. The word of the Lord. I invite you to take a moment for a silent reflection upon the passage. Let the words of my mouth, O Lord, and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but one of the most significant religious works in English literature, John Bunyan's 1678 allegorical novel, The Pilgrim's Progress, is rich with spiritual insight and still can illuminate important dynamics of faith for us today. And so I want us to enter together a scene near the end of the novel where the chief character, named Christian, is facing a great and fearsome river that he must cross in order to arrive at the gates of heaven. He is desperately afraid as he wades into the water together with his friend, Hopeful. Immediately, Christian begins sinking, and he cries out for help. And to his cries, Hopeful replies with what may be among the most grace-filled words in all of English literature. Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom. And it is good. It is an odd faith that we profess as Christians. We do not proclaim a God who solves every manner of problem we find ourselves in again and again. In fact, the river that Christian and hopeful waded into, the one that is scaring Christians so much, represents death itself, and that's a required crossing for us all. We further believe that God is behind and sustaining all the messy and beautiful order and chaos of creation in a world filled with heart-wrenching natural disaster and breathtaking wonder. And we humans, as part of this creation, are endowed with a free will that we all know leads us to both grave abysses and luminous heights. And so on this Father's Day, we have scripture readings that invite us to an adult kind of faith in our Heavenly Father. A new depth of trust that sees and feels the storm, and yet still trust God's goodness and power above, beyond, and below the chaos, even when the waves still rage around us. We are not invited to simply be brave or promised that God will shelter us from all the storms we are invited instead to recall and trust God's presence, even in the storm. Recall that we belong to and are loved by and never abandoned by the one we trust to be more powerful than any storm without experiencing the elimination of all our chaotic troubles. The French philosopher Paul Ricoeur calls this depth of faith our second naivete. First, we are children, and we have a deep, and what was sometimes called naive without diminishing it, faith in God. And then we grow, and we have some dissatisfactions with the divine. Maybe we lose our faith for a while in doubts and distrust. And then the invitation, Rakur says, comes. To enter this second naivete, a new depth of faith, a mindset characterized by a willingness to embrace the paradoxes and mysteries of faith, and perhaps most of all, an ability to accept that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are our ways His ways. In other words, just because we are in a bind does not mean that God is not still powerful, loving, and good. Some elements of chaos, danger, and death as part of new life are simply part of God's creation. Even the uncomfortable instability of a society gratefully on the mend from a pandemic. The lectionary, which is an assigned set of readings for the church, Assigns another sister passage to this gospel reading we just heard from the book of Mark. And the passage that is assigned to match up with it from the Old Testament is a short passage from Job. And I'll read you the part that I think relates to this idea. Job is a book that is famous for honest wrestling with dissatisfaction with the divine order. And at the end, after Job has laid out his case as to why he thinks God is not doing an adequate job or questioning the divine order at all, God says this to Job. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. The image here in Job is of a chaotic sea, the chaotic sea, as a child birthed from God, nurtured by God, and yet still limited and prescribed by God. It's worth mentioning now that chaos isn't the same as immorality, which God addresses in a different part of the speech. And I'm going to leave alone for today because chaos is enough to deal with without getting into immorality. So by the end of the book, Job acknowledges how little he understands of God's ways and wonders at God's purposes. And we wonder with him, even this day, why this world doesn't have some sort of antiviral design woven into creation's pattern in the pandemic's devastating wake. And yet perhaps what ought to most astonish us as we consider the world and all the galaxies is that in God's response to Job, he demonstrates God's care for even us as puny creatures that each of us matters enough to merit passionate engagement with the creator of heaven and earth, which is the story of scripture. What we glimpse in the Hebrew scriptures becomes clearer still in the gospels. Each of us is not just seen or worthy of engagement, but beloved of this creator, God. Indeed, the revelation of God in Christ reaffirms in new ways the Holy One's care for frail humankind. And today we are invited to hear Jesus say anew in the voice of one both humble and almighty. Even with the storms, even with your dissatisfactions, trust me still. Trust my goodness, love, wisdom, and power the one who sets the bounds of chaos as part of creation, the one here in the boat with you does care. You are afraid because you recognize that you do not have power over the chaos. But there is a power greater than the chaos, and it is I. The bread, the life, the light, the one defined by self-giving love. And so we might consider again Jesus's calming of the storm from today's gospel. For seafaring and water-going people, there is no greater symbol for chaos than a storm. And it might help us to know in empathizing with the disciples that the storm is layered upon a bed of anxiety. At least I imagine that's so. Because Jesus says to the disciples at the beginning of today's passage, let us go across to the other side. These are not throwaway words, simple travel directions on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples would have heard a more daunting message. Let us go across to the other side of the lake to Gentile territory, to the land of the Garrisones, which is where they are going next in the Gospel of Mark. It's as if Jesus is saying, "Well, it has not been without struggle here on the west side of the lake, and we have been actually quite successful in teaching about the kingdom of God, just look at the crowds today. We are not going to stay and set up camp. Let us instead go someplace new and foreign Someplace that is probably going to be even more hostile to me and our message than Nazareth was. Things didn't go too well in Nazareth, if you remember. And so they are going on an already fearsome journey. And then the storm comes. So imagine for a moment, more fully, the chaos that a storm on the water and that experience points to. Because there is literally nothing stable to grasp when one's entire boat is engulfed in wind and waves. Anything that might offer stability like a large stone outcropping is actually a threat more than a help in this kind of trouble. Truly everything is in flux. A storm at sea is perfectly illustrative of a situation when it seems that all of our possible moorings are far away or useless, and we are helpless against the elements. Think about that in our own lives. The things that give us a sense of stability, safety, security, far away, the ground shifting, under our feet even if we've never been at sea surely this is a fear we know something about surely the panicked cry of the disciples to the napping jesus in the back of the boat is one that we can relate to are you going to help us out here Do you even care? This is a question of divine doubt and honest dissatisfaction that can be asked on many different levels. Sometimes the sense of chaos and threat is very personal. Sometimes we feel alone in that boat. And we are reaching out to Jesus with our lone voice of prayer and lament. Other times, though, this question is very communal and even political. For example, the Gospel of Mark was written around the time of Rome's violent destruction of Jerusalem, including the leveling of the temple in 70 AD. So we might hear and see this story as a deep allegory about the early church afraid in that boat. The community of faith as it transitions from its Jewish center on the west side of the lake to a more global mission on the east side of the lake. And what happens in the middle of that transition that's already taking place? A huge storm that dwarfs most other storms we can think of. The center of worship is destroyed. The cultural and religious center of Jewish society is shattered. There is actually no easy equivalent for us as American Christians. The best analogy I can think of simply as Americans and as citizens is the decimation of the Capitol building, the Supreme Court, and the White House by an occupying foreign power all at once. That's what they're dealing with in the early church in 70 AD when Mark writes this story. So St. Mark is writing into a context of political chaos that few of our American churches know. But the witness still stands to the disciples across the ages, including our own communities, facing our own kinds of storms? Have we, too, fallen into seeing Jesus just as teacher? Just a sleepy ragamuffin who got into the boat just as he was, presumably exhausted and unkempt from a day of teaching the crowds in the sun on the lake shore? Do we call to him, as if he is just another man who can help us bale the water? Or do we remember the apocalypse, the unveiling of Easter morning, and of this story, when we realize that Jesus, the one in the boat with us, is indeed one greater than the biggest layers and levels of chaos that we might encounter. I don't know about you, but I feel like we are all experiencing some level of chaos and instability as we try to sail to the other side of the pandemic. We are ragged and tired after the last 16 months. We are in need of healing. And yet the waves of marketers, our calendars, our workplace demands, our children's needs and our family's dysfunctions just keep coming. We know that we cannot just pick up the game where it left off in March of 2020. We cannot just put the record back on and resume our old songs. But the chaotic storm, even if it is dwarfed in comparison to what we went through six months ago, still makes it a bit hard to see where we are going, how we will land this ship of the church, this ship of our lives. So I invite you to ponder honestly today in prayer and reflection. How do you feel in this current version of the storm? Are you feeling your own dissatisfaction with the divine at the end of a long 16 months? As you continue to bail the water? What is your own honest yearning? Are you, deep down, or not so deep at all, afraid that the chaos will win, will overtake your life, your family, your church? Once, when I was a little girl, about nine years old, a storm raged within me with great chaos, leading me to a place of terror. panic. It was winter, you see, and I had come down with my yearly case of strep throat. And with the infection came a very high fever and a prescription for penicillin. And in my fevered and drugged delirium, I dreamed a fearsome dream in the night. I saw black and white spirals, like tornadoes, bearing down on me. And the whole atmosphere was oily, dirty, oppressive. I tried to escape by getting out of bed, running down the carpeted hall, screaming and shrieking for help in terror. And when I reached the landing, the front door blew open. My father came in with the cold, clean night air, lifting me up and holding me in his arms as I sobbed into quiet. He had been out shoveling snow in the driveway, and he had instructed my brother to watch over me, but sometimes 12-year-old boys are not the best night nurses. I will never forget that night when I clung to his barrel chest of cold flannel. And the juxtapositions that I experienced make it a holy image, even though, or especially because, he did not actually wipe away my infection and fever even though he didn't have that power, still, I experienced this terror to calm, danger to safety, chaos to peace, aloneness to communion, oppressive heat to open air relief. My father is mortal, and thus he is not and was not perfect, but he was and is a good father. And memories like this help me understand so much of the biblical imagery of God that uses the metaphor of a powerful father to whom we might cling to and trust. The Lord is the one greater than the chaos. The one who can settle the most essential storms of our lives and keep the dangers we most fear, death, destruction, solitude, at bay. It is still a great truth about God. Still, after all these years and all these storms and seasons of divine dissatisfaction of my own, still one I preach and relearn again and again myself. There is solace and strength and a peace that passes understanding in God's loving presence. It's a power and a love that helps us to grow up, walk out into the world on sunny and stormy days, and cross all kinds of rivers. Because we know, and we remind each other, when fear strikes, that the bottom, the bottom is good. (music) No, <music>